In May of 2008, two identical twins started causing havoc on the highway leading to London in the UK. Once this incident was recorded for a TV show and the police was alerted, they apprehended the sisters. But as soon as one of them was released from custody, she went on to commit murder. Is this the case of Oliadu, or does the motive behind the actions of Ericsson twins go beyond their bond? If you follow me on my other channel, the main channel, Maya Mabengeza, it will be in the description box. You know that I am about to give last puffs of energy and the word puff will make sense in the context of today's story because I have been working on the case of Panama Girls, Chris Kremers and Lisanne Froon for the main channel and have been giving out two-parters so far. I think at least one other is coming and each of them is two hours long. And uh, I don't think unless you are a content creator yourself that you can understand how much work goes for you to release a two-hour video. So uh, I am exhausted is what I'm trying to say. And I have also just went with the last bits of my energy on like some Twitter rampage tweeting about how I respect and love all of the women out there that have monetized content, writing songs about their exes and how they should be respected and chosen for presidents, okay? Because those women have already figured out the way of how to break the glass ceiling. They broke it. Follow me on the social media, okay? The personal ones and then also the, the podcast ones because that's how life works, okay? If you like to listen to the content, you probably like the thoughts and what comes out of the minds and the brains of the people behind the content. That somehow was supposed to sound friendly and not like threatening in any way, shape or form. Now that I got that out of the way, which was a completely pointless statement, let me use the last puffs of my energy to speak about the puffs of madness. That is one way to define what happened in today's story. Another way would be folia do. But in this case, in the case that I'm bringing you for next week, that I'm already having my claws in, there will be an old-timey case of folia do. Well, with these two, I really need your noggings, you know, I really need you to put your detective hats on and give me your critical opinion. Because so many people believe that this case, the case of Sabina and Ursula Eriksson, and the case that I'm bringing you next week are definite cases of Holyadu. And with the case of Eriksson twins, I was always very conflicted because of the certain details in this story. And it's just crazy. So let us dive in and start off with the 16th of May 2008. The police officers on that day have been called to investigate two women that were disrupting traffic, basically throwing themselves in front of the cars and causing chaos, causing havoc 
on the MI6, which is the highway here in the UK. And when called upon the scene, they actually had a film crew with them in the car. Because at the time, this film crew was actually shooting a reality TV show that is called Motorway Cups. So with cameras in hand, they are approaching this scene. And they are expecting, as described, to see some havoc, to see these women actually disrupting traffic. But when they arrive to the scene of the possible crime, these two women are just acting like nothing is wrong. Standing at the shoulder of the highway, they seem completely calm, completely fine and uninjured. Which isn't something that you would expect to hear when you're called on the scene and somebody told you there's two women throwing themselves on top of the cars. So they came onto the scene believing that a woman was struck by a truck, but instead the two of them are just talking to them as if normal, as if nothing has happened. As you can see in this footage, if you're watching on YouTube, and if you aren't, I would really suggest looking this up, the officer is talking to the women. So there's two women dressed in like two different colored coats. He's talking to the twins. And then there's like three or four other police officers that are just talking among themselves. And the camera is kind of on them. So the women are behind. They aren't in focus. And then you just see one of the women bolting into the traffic. And that is Ursula. So one of the twins just jumps onto the ongoing traffic and starts running. And starts running. Starts crossing three lanes. And a couple of seconds after, her sister Sabina follows. She just runs into the traffic after her sister. Both of them then get kicked by different cars. Ursula is struck by a truck and Sabina, after following her, gets struck by this Volkswagen Polo. So they're knocked out. They're having multiple injuries. And Sabina was unconscious for about 15 minutes, but Ursula is still kicking. She has her legs crushed, but she's spitting and screaming at these police officers. It's almost this like animalistic rage. There is something in her for her to still stay kicking and still stay fighting. She calls them bitch asses, <laughs> which when I listened to this coverage by uh, last podcast on the left first, I just loved how much mockery they made out of bitch asses. They're like, oh, this must be like a European way. And I'm like, mm. I use the word bitch ass every single day, mostly on my husband, because it's just the best word. It's one of the favorite words of mine out there. So the question, I guess, that I have for Americans is, do you use it yourselves? Because apparently not. Apparently this is a very European immigrant thing. But bitches is such a fun word. Just say it. Say it a couple of words. Say it a couple of times in a row and you will realize that it is one of the best words out there. Well, Sabina comes to her senses after about 15 minutes and she is equally unfazed. To me, when I first saw this, I was like, there is no way that this isn't staged, that this isn't actually just done for a show. Because these two women, from this point, like just even from seeing the initial couple of minutes, but from everything that goes on later as well, it just seems like they're stunt women. I don't know how else to describe it. It just seems like they're really skilled at this. And the fact that they haven't broken like their legs and their bodies completely after going into traffic, 
I just, I just cannot ever explain it. So Sabina comes to her senses and she starts mirroring her sister. She starts screaming how the cops aren't real, how they are trying to steal her organs, and immediately gets back up, jumps up, and runs back into the traffic, jumping over one of those poles that kind of divides the motorway. And before she jumps over it, this police officer starts to follow her, like basically try to come to her aid to get her onto the ground before the ambulance is called. But Sabina, yet again, as if this was a scene from a movie, she punches this female officer straight in the face. And it is so smooth as if this is just like a normal day-to-day of this girl. Like she just punch this as if it was a boxing ring and then runs off into the traffic, jumping over that divider of the motorway and just running off. It took three police officers to follow after her for one of them to actually try to like stop the cars, to stop the traffic and then all three of them to like surround her from each side to finally manage to handcuff her. This means both of the women have finally been apprehended. Ursula was hit by a truck earlier on, so she couldn't have moved. But both of their behaviors at this point, at the point of the handcuffing, I find extremely interesting. Ursula, the whole time as she was still on the ground with the police trying to help her, trying to assess her state before the ambulance were to come, she was resisting any help. She was scratching, just gnawing at the officers, screaming and spitting at them. But Sabina's behavior I find even more interesting because of how much she fought. But also when on the ground, she was saying, call the police, even though the police was literally there. But then she was also saying, fuck the police. Like, I know who you are. I know you aren't real. It just all seemed like a, an episode to me. It just seemed like something was up with their mental health. I think like the initial thought that people have about what happened on the motorway here is like very strong for each and every person. Like I've heard so many different things. People have said that like it must be drugs. A lot of people on the internet think that this looked like an episode, but more like a drug-related episode. They were high off the rocker on something. Some people say that it is paranoia because of what they're going to find in their bags. They found a bunch of cell phones, but a lot of them were broken. They found a laptop and only one of their passports. So, again, a lot of conspiracy theories immediately started basically saying that this might have been a suicide pact just because of how similarly they behaved. People in the beginning mostly suspected either a suicide pact or some form of drug use, that they have taken similar dosage and that is why they're behaving in such a similar way. Whatever you think about this incident now, I swear your opinion is going to change at least a couple of times during this episode. After an ambulance is called, the air ambulance arrives to the scene and takes both of them to the hospital. Ursula is transported to the hospital and she's going to have to stay there for a couple of days. 
and Sabina is transferred by a land ambulance. But you see, at this point, for these two women who just conducted whatever this is, whatever you want to name it, together in perfect sync, it seems, one following the other, they don't seem to be asking any questions to give a fuck about one another. Like, Sabina is taken to a different ambulance. She isn't asking about her sister. And five hours later, she will actually be discharged. But during this examination of Sabina, she's even joking with the police officers, with the medical staff, saying how her shoes are smelly, how she wouldn't have them close to their noses. And also has the eeriest statement of them all. She says to the police officers that in Sweden, they have a saying, an accident rarely comes alone. Usually, at least one more follows. They are so dirty and smelly and they found only one sucks for me. Try not to breathe then. We say always in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. But usually at least one more follows. And the way she says it, she has the most pensive look on her face as if like she just delivered the line like once I heard this I was like there's a plan there is a plan and that's one of the main reasons why I cannot ever convince myself that there wasn't something more to this case like a lot more information that we are just not privy to because Americans, and especially, you know, Henry Zabrowski and, like, the guys of the last podcast of the left have, like, taken this quote apart, basically being like, who the fuck says that? I think each European country has their version of this expression. I don't think there is anything wrong with the expression itself, as in, like, it's one of those typical things that I have heard so many times back home, but usually in some form of context. Like, usually not just somebody who is being examined after this bizarre-ass attack says that in the eeriest possible way to, like, the medical staff. Like, you know, kind of read the room kind of thing. Like, because is it foreshadowing? Because we are going to find out what happens. And in context, it is so creepy and makes me believe that there might have been some sort of a plan here. From this point on, after that eerie quote was uttered, so Ursula is getting examined and she's living like the separate life basically from her sister right now. She will have toxicology screens and they will find no drugs or alcohol in her system. So we are leaving her behind for a while and focusing on Sabina. I have read conflicting things in different resources here. I have read that she was tested for narcotics and found that she was clean and also that she wasn't tested. But more sources are saying that they have done their due diligence, that she was tested and that she was also seen on four separate occasions on that day by different psychologists and even by a social worker and all of them established no immediate signs of any mental illness But also what they haven't seen is the footage from the motorway. So the motorway cops 
production team, whatever you want to call them, they already went home. So nobody actually showed any of these psychologists what will be perceived by many as a temporary psychotic episode, which is what happened on the motorway, which means that they just followed this basic questionnaire checking if the person is fit to be interviewed, if they're fit to be charged, and if they're fit to be taken to court. And every single answer to that question in Sabina's case would have been a yes. So because every single answer to those questions was a yes, everybody deemed that Sabina did not examine any signs of mental or psychological illness, and she was released to the police custody. This is where she would be charged and sentenced to only one day. She is going to serve only one day in jail. And this day, I think she already spent in hospital. So basically, they just released her and put her out on the streets. Now, when you hear me say put her out on the streets, you're like, huh, is this another European thing? Is this another immigrant thing? A glitch in language, a glitch in translation? No. They actually released her out onto the street. Like, as police officers, like, I understand there's a situation with petrol right now, but this is 2008. What the actual fuck? Like, do you not want to, like, get her, I don't know, put her into a hostel? Ask her where she wants to go? Just drop her off there or make sure that she has money for the cab? Make sure that she gets somewhere. You don't just leave them out, like, yep. Yeah, and, and you go off. What if she is going to find another motorway? What if something a lot worse is going to happen? Which we're going to find out it will. While her sister Ursula is going to spend the next three months in a psychiatric facility, Sabina will be released back into the society. She will find herself walking the streets of Stoke-on-Trent with a plastic bag holding a laptop. And according to one source, a thousand pounds in cash. What no one could have predicted is that releasing her from the hospital would result in murder in less than 24 hours. To understand how we got here, let us speak about the limited background that we have on the Ericsson sisters. Sabina and her sister Ursula were born on the 3rd of November 1967 and they were born in Sweden, which is where they grew up, along their older sister and an older brother. We don't know much about their childhood, but they never had a history of mental health issues or any criminal convictions that we are privy to. By the year 2000, Ursula was living in the US and Sabina got married and had two children and she moved from Sweden to Ireland, to the small city of Mello. Something that nobody mentions but really screams at me is again the immigration. I mean, I know that this is at least 21 years ago, we don't know the exact dates that they moved to these countries. But again, I would think that they would need some form of visas, some form of papers to live in the US and here in Ireland, moving from Europe. So I'm not sure why nobody really focuses on that, but I think there is a lot more to this background that we don't really know of that could have been another stressor on these two women. The two of them stayed in touch through social media, we know that they spoke on the phone about once a day for a couple of years, but they actually haven't seen each other 
in person for a long while. And I'm mentioning this because as we are analyzing these cases of madness for two, of folie à deux, we usually speak about the family members, the partners, people that are dependent, that spend almost all of their time together, that are usually in some form of isolated situations where they're inseparable. And this just wasn't the case with these two identical twins. Regarding their mental health, the only thing we know just prior to this event was that Ursula started saying that she can hear voices, but she also couldn't understand what they were saying. So I'm kind of led to believe like maybe she shared this with her twin and they started to interpret them together. I'm not really sure what to make out of this. But shortly after, on 16th of May 2008, Ursula decided to visit Sabina in Ireland. So she reaches Ireland and this is when the two women started behaving very much like identical twins. They decided to refuse to leave each other's side. But because these women haven't seen themselves for at least about eight years from what we know, Now, of course, Sabina lives with her husband and her children. It is said that an argument ensued. Maybe it was between Ursula and the husband and how he was treating her sister. But there was an argument with Sabina's husband and the girls decided to pack up their bags and leave the house and leave Sabina's children behind. The two of them then decide to go to Liverpool. So we assume that they have taken a ferry and arrived to Liverpool Station at about 8.30 a.m. We know that they were at Liverpool because the next action they would do is go to St. Anne Street Police Station. And this is where they filed a police report that was against the husband. They said that there was a fight and that they're kind of concerned for the children, so if they can do a welfare check back home in Ireland. But while the Liverpool police officers have left these two women in a waiting room, they went on to try to contact the police in Ireland to follow up with this request, these two women manage to sneak out and they decide to board a bus. So at around 11.30 that morning, they boarded a National Express coach heading to London. On this bus, it's when it gets about a tenfold more bizarre. That's not an expression. Let's make it an expression. Tenfold more bizarre. Because they keep clutching onto their bags. So they don't want to put them in the overhead compartment. They don't want to put them in the bottom of the bus, you know, where you usually put suitcases. And, I mean, this is National Express, right? It isn't like mega bus. But still, they don't have the time for this shit. And because... It's not even a normal way that they refuse to put these bags on top of the bus. They're clutching onto them, just basically arguing with the staff on the bus. So, of course, that looks suspicious as fuck. Like, what if they were to have a bomb? Like, what if they... Fuck knows what they have in those bags that they're refusing to leave alone. So, the bus driver basically tells them, either you let us search the bags so that we can discard all of these options that I just mentioned, that you're basically maybe planning an attack, or you can't continue the journey on the bus. So they say they're not going to let them go through the bags, 
And of course, that means that the bus stops eventually on the M6. On the motorway, they stopped around Staffordshire area and the driver kicks them off the bus. But he also informs the service station manager in this area and they inform the police. Now, where they were stranded at this point, the road is a motorway, as I mentioned, so it's not designed for the pedestrians. It's not designed for them to walk on it. And that means that, yes, the service station manager had to inform the police, but also the motorists, the people on the way started to inform the police because where are they going to go from this point on? They have to be picked up by somebody. And a couple of things here, because this is really all of the limited information that we have. But a few things that I haven't seen mentioned anywhere. So, first of all, when you put this into perspective, like, they're left in the middle of nowhere on their motorway. Like, I understand jumping in front of the cars isn't rational. Like, I'm not trying to justify that. But to a certain degree, like, if they haven't told them, they're about to be picked up. And if they don't know the laws, the culture, like anything in the UK, like it isn't common knowledge. Like if somebody was to kick me off a bus in the middle of nowhere on their motorway, I wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Like, can you even call a cab even today in 2021? Can you even call somebody to pick you up? Like, were they ever told that the service station manager is called, that the police has been called, like, were they ever told how to get from that point on anywhere? Like, were they told, wait for the next bus? Because, as I mentioned, I wouldn't be throwing myself onto the motorway, but I probably, I don't know, try to get a ride. If it's a bus, if it's a car, how do I get from that point on anywhere? But something else that hasn't been discussed, and that's the bags and the content of the bags... Now, I'm not sure if the police or anybody here has been trying to, like, cover for their asses, if there's anywhere, if there's, like, an official police report anywhere that somebody might have found about the contents of those bags. But from all of the resources, the only thing I see repeated is that there was a laptop, and then when Sabina was discharged, she was discharged with a laptop, and also a bunch of broken phones. And I find that interesting. And that passport, yeah, one one uh, women's passport. So I find that to be interesting because they have traveled, Ursula traveled from the US to Ireland to visit her sister. And then from that point on, both of them went to Liverpool and then took a bus, again, making it sound like there was some plan but whatever they were following, like, did they plan to stay overnight? Did they maybe need a change of clothes? Because that's something that I don't see. And another thing that I am not sure about is why did they have this much technology? Like, why bring a laptop along? Why bring so many phones? Because usually people who are to any form paranoid... The first thing they're going to drop behind if you don't want to be tracked is technology. Like, that's the first thing that will go. So I just, I don't know what you make out of it, but, like, I cannot wrap my head around it. And nobody seems to focus on, like, all of those things. And maybe it is because of that technology that they didn't want to drop their bags behind, that they didn't want to put them in the overhead compartments. 
I don't know. Again, I just don't think enough focus has been done on certain things that really scream at me here. But this is what we know. So after that, the motorway incident followed, the two of them jumping onto the roads, after which they were apprehended, Ursula stayed in the hospital, and Sabina was released. So we are back to Sabina just walking the streets with a plastic bag and a laptop inside of it. In the middle of nowhere, the area that she clearly doesn't know, she doesn't live there, she doesn't have anybody there. Yet again, what would you do? Like, I'm not shifting the blame to anybody else here, but there's so many cases that I know of, having heard of, or have covered myself, where somebody's just left to their own devices. And when you really think about it, well... Of course, they're going to resort to some form of crime. If nothing else, possibly theft, trying to maybe get somewhere for free. Like, what is the logical conclusion of what a person should do when they're just left on the street to their own devices? Maybe without even the possibility to make a phone call to somebody else. So... This is where Sabina is right now. And as she's just walking down the street, walking down the residential roads, so she isn't even like walking down the city center, trying to find help, another bus station, train station, nothing like that. She's walking the residential roads and she comes across a guy called Glenn Hollingshead and his friend Peter Malloy, who were just walking home from a pub and they were walking with Glenn's dog. So Sabina, who is just walking around, she spots the dog and asks to pet it. And then she's asking about local B&Bs, so bed and breakfasts or hotels in the area. But the two of them say, I mean, there's really nothing in this area. It is quite residential. But Glenn, who was a really good sport, really nice guy, he, after hearing that Sabina was looking for her sister, well, he offers her a place to stay. He says she can stay at his for a night, and then the next day he can guide her towards the nearest bed and breakfast. So, key thing here is, finally, after all this time, after being examined, being released, she mentions that she is trying to locate her sister. So, she knows her sister is in a hospital, but she doesn't know where or how to locate her and she needs somebody's help. And another key thing that we're going to find out from Pete later is that Pete, Glenn's friend, was really freaked out about this situation. Like immediately from spotting her on the street, like the state of her, she just seemed to be off. And even when they were just petting the dog, chatting on the street. She seemed to be turning her head in paranoia, as if she's maybe running from something or somebody. And they go to Glenn's house eventually. Pete is still there, stays there for like a couple of drinks to assess the situation. But he'd say she just kept behaving strangely. She'd become really cold and distant any time that they would ask about her sister she would act in a very paranoid way. She started peeking behind the curtains and she would like draw the curtains so that nobody can see into the house. She would even snatch away the cigarettes that she herself gave them, that she herself offered them, saying that they are poisoned. 
And Pete said another crucial thing, and that is that Sabina, when she was with them, never complained about pain and just didn't exhibit the behavior of somebody who was literally like exhausted, has been run over by a car, or has just been running and exerting themselves the whole day. Around midnight, Peter, who is quite freaked out by her behavior, decides to leave. So, by the end of the night, by midnight, Pete is freaked out by Sabina, but Glenn isn't, so he still decides to let her sleep there, and Peter decides to finally leave. So, nothing happens overnight, everything is calm, Sabina sleeps in like a spare room or whatever, and the next day, they wake up, and Glenn starts calling the local hospital. Glenn's brother was a paramedic, so he called the local hospital and tried to get the information on Sabina's sister. After that call, all of that day, the two of them just hung around the house. We have no idea what they did. Until 7.40pm, when Glenn thinks of having tea and he realizes he doesn't have certain tea in his house and it's kind of too late to go to the shops, so he just goes next door to his neighbor to ask for some specific tea bags. As soon as he gets out of the neighbor's house and walks back into his Literally minutes later, he staggers outside again after having been stabbed by Sabina. She stabbed Glenn four times with a kitchen knife. So he staggers outside of the house and the neighbor is literally still on his porch. So to the neighbor, he says, she stabbed me and then he collapses in the alleyway. So the neighbor is trying to tend to him, trying to revive him. And his last words to the neighbor were to take care of his dog. After that, the neighbor calls the police and Glenn Hollingshead has just passed away in front of his house. Glenn Hollingshead, who was a former Royal Air Force airman, was only 54 once Sabina Erickson killed him. From this point on, she fled the scene and she fled it with a hammer and a roof tile. So by the time the ambulance and the police arrived, they realized that she is gone and they start chasing her. But not before, just a passing motorist stops to see if he can help maybe get a hammer out of her hand. But she struck him on the back of the head with the roof tile that she had in her pocket. Different CCTV footage that I couldn't find myself shows her looking confused, distressed, even at certain points striking her own head with that hammer. As the paramedics are now giving chase after her, just at the end of Heron Cross, Sabina sees the chance to jump off a 40-foot high bridge onto the road, onto the A50, like another motorway. So you think, okay, she jumped off the bridge onto the motorway, like, she's dead. There's no, there's no way that somebody would survive that. No, no, she's not. She had broken both of her ankles and had fractured her skull, but Sabina is still very much alive. How am I supposed not to trust into some superhumans after hearing this story? Like, how, against all odds, have both of these women survived? But especially Sabina, like, how do you survive something like this? 
After she's finally apprehended and taken to the hospital, tests would later reveal that she still had no traces of alcohol or drugs in her system. And as she is recovering at the University Hospital of North Staffordshire, she would end up being arrested on June the 6th, 2008. It would be months before both twins would be released, and once released, Ursula was allowed to return to her family in Sweden, and later she would move back to the US, and Sabina would end up being charged and plead guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility. Interestingly, though, both prosecution and defense here would argue that Sabina was insane at the time of the killing, but that she was sane during the trial. Am I sure of how that works? No, but her lawyer claimed that she was a secondary sufferer of folia du, influenced by a primary sufferer, her sister Ursula. They would also tell the court of this rare psychiatric disorder that she had that made her hear voices that they supported by like earlier conversations that she had with her sister before her sister traveled to Ireland. So folia du, if you needed a reminder, is a shared psychosis where some sort of delusional beliefs are transferred from one individual to another and this would mean that Sabina was actually susceptible to the influence from her sister, kind of explaining that whole diminished responsibility defense. Now, as I mentioned, the prosecution would also argue that she was insane at the time of the killing, but they argued towards something different, which is called bouffe de la ronde. It's another French expression that means a puff of madness. This means that the person has had no previous mental issues and it just then happens that they get a psychological break that can last up to a few weeks, but it doesn't really last longer than that and that's why it's a puff of madness. Due to basically both parties agreeing that this was just temporary madness, that she just lost control and that is why this murder had happened, Mr. Justice Saunders sentenced Sabina to only five years in prison. He described this as one of the most difficult cases he had ever had to sentence, saying that while the mental illness resolved quickly, both psychiatrists agree it was serious and that she behaved the way she did because of her illness. He said he gave this sentence because a heavier sentence wouldn't accomplish much, as if saying he believes, based off all of the other examinations that were done on her, that a person like this won't reoffend again, that they have reoffended there and, you know, they were saying during the trial, which is what they have proven, meaning that they will not reoffend once released after five years, which to me sounds like a risk, like this was still murder manslaughter, if you believe in the diminished responsibility, like somebody caught five years for taking somebody else's life. I just cannot comprehend. Like, I understand if there's no mental health issues, you can't actually put them into a mental health institution for an X amount of time, like a whole term, 20 plus years for taking somebody's life. But I don't know, it just never sat right with me. Glenn's brother said to the papers later that he believed the criminal justice system failed his brother, 
when they allowed Sabina to return to the society after the M6 incident. So when they let her out on the street, saying her mental condition should have been properly assessed after what she did on the motorway and the experiences the police had, her mental disorder should have been picked up prior to her being let out into the community. And I could not agree more. Like somebody failed here and just nobody took the blame. And in my opinion, plenty of parties did. We had that footage. Why was it not shown to people assessing her mental state? Why were normal things not examined? Like, what were all of the contents in her bag? Why are we not painting the picture of what an individual like that might be thinking, might be planning to do? And then, even more bizarre, even if we are thinking, okay, completely sane, let her out on the street. Why are we letting her out in that state with a plastic bag without confirming where she's going? Like, I swear, you have to have that on the record. Like, that would make the only sense to me. If we're releasing somebody, be like, okay, what address can we get you at? What phone number can we call to confirm that you are safe and sound at this point? They just released on the street. Like, is she going home? To her husband, to her children? Has that police report ever been followed up on? I understand to a certain degree we are not owed any explanations as to, you know, what the stressors might have been surrounding the family situation. But then we have such limited pieces of information that, of course, your mind is going to go 10,000 different ways and you're going to see this as the system failing Glenn, failing a victim, as something that should have been prevented. From what I've heard on the last podcast of the left coverage of this, she got five years, but she only served two. So she was released in 2001. She served two years for killing a person. I just let, just let that sink in. Whatever your thoughts are, I think we can both agree. You and me and other people listening maybe with you in your presence. That this is a bit too little for um, the crime committed. And after that, she reunited with her husband and children. And we are to presume that she hasn't done anything since. We don't, however, know if she is still in touch with her sister, if they have ever met again, and if there is a risk if they were to meet whether something like this would happen again. Because a third of people who go through that path of madness can relapse. So what if they were to reunite? It's just the data surrounding this topic is not so clear cut and it's just making me very uncomfortable considering that maybe yet again in the future there will be a case, another crime that one or the other will commit without maybe her twin or once they reunite and there is another folia do situation that could have again been prevented. And then what happens then? Like, is there a harsher punishment then? Like, why did we allow it to happen again? I don't know. I have never been more interested to know what you guys think because this has my brain spinning because I'm not sure to what degree we can actually attribute this to like something like Folia Du. Because they were separated for so long. They never lived together until Ursula actually came to Ireland to visit her sister. So it's really nothing like we usually attribute to Folia do. 
which brings me to the motives. Let's see if we can try to wrap our brains around this. I watched the Dr. Grande video again here, and he mentioned something that isn't mentioned elsewhere, which is acute polymorphic psychotic disorder, or APPD. This is equivalent to brief psychotic disorder, meaning that it resolves shortly and that it usually can't be spotted. So that might be why nobody understood it psychologically when they examined them, because there were no negative symptoms, no slurring of words, no things like apathy or like lack of social interest. So nothing to indicate that it's about to happen. And, I mean, we have footage on M6 with them, like, swearing at the cops, so we know that they weren't in any, like, state of slurring words. They weren't, like, slowed down. There was nothing indicating that anything criminal might happen. But people with this disorder are usually more likely to develop schizophrenia. Meaning that, again, this isn't something where you look at somebody having a short psychotic break and be like, they're fine that it could have still been stopped. So that could have been one of the motives, one of the reasons behind that they were in some form of the psychotic disorder. But if we are saying that they developed the same disorder at the same time, then we are talking about folia du, with Ursula being a primary and Sabina being a secondary, the follower. This is a shared psychotic disorder, and one-third of the time, the sufferers of this disorder are actually siblings. So, if we are to believe this, Ursula's psychosis started to affect Sabina. She moved from the US to the Ireland. Something happened. It started affecting Sabina to the point that she decided to leave her kids and the husband behind and travel and follow her sister. But then, as soon as they separated off M6, those delusions would have disappeared. Because usually we know when the primary partner separates from the secondary, these kind of delusions also go away. Now, when a homicide occurs under folia du, there's usually one out of three motives. Defensive, obstruction of the fulfillment of somebody's delusion, or threat of separation of the other party. And usually in the instances where a homicide occurs, suicide usually follows, which almost happened here, or we are inclined that maybe there was an actual suicide attempt. The only motive that would make sense would be obstruction of the fulfillment of the delusion. We just don't know what that delusion was what was supposed to be fulfilled. Because everything screams at me. Something They were following some pattern. There was some plan as delusional as it was in their heads. They were headed somewhere, even if it was to just escape the husband and the children and make sure that they were safe. Something was afoot here that they have never shared with the public. And that is the only one that makes sense because... The defensive one just doesn't. And the threat of the separation of the other party. I'm not sure if I'm missing out on something. You let me know. But also here, interestingly, the less dominant one, the one buying into this delusion, was also the one to have murdered. 
and was also completely fine to leave her sister alone for her sister to move away and not visit her in prison. So if you are seeing this as I am, as the obstruction of the fulfillment of the delusion, do you believe that that was just dropped, the fulfillment of the delusion bit, once the two of them were finally separated, once they knew each other's state, each other's location, even though one of those locations would be a prison cell, and that then eventually, because of that separation, the delusion and the psychotic break stopped, you know, calm down, and it will never reoccur again unless they're to meet again? Or do you believe that there was, to a certain degree, some fulfillment, that maybe there was a plan and that it was followed through and that that is why the delusion is gone. What are your thoughts here? I bite a lot less in terms of folia do here because it seemed like one was a lot more affected, Sabina. Also, they were separated before this point. They were not isolated together. But then the whole point of folia do, the whole point of the path of madness, whichever theory you also buy into here, is that it is a form of a temporary psychosis. The emphasis on temporary, meaning that it will go away as soon as they separate. But my final question to you here is, do you think any form of crime would have happened had the two of them not met? Because I think that is where the key to these cases lies. Like, if the two of them were never to have met again after so long of not seeing each other, would any of this have happened? And I think here the truth really lies in the lack of information, in the information that we don't have. Because usually these kind of psychotic breaks happen with some form of stressors and some form of isolation. And we have no idea what these women got up to before the two of them met. With the fact that if they haven't actually met up for at least eight years prior to this attack, I mean, that might have been a stressor in itself. Like, if I wasn't to meet up with a member of my family for eight years, I mean, I might lose it in a positive way when I meet them, let alone, like, if we were to have a psychotic break. But also, I think the truth lies in the stress that was to do with Sabina's marriage. I think there's a big gap of information that we are lacking in that area. Why didn't she report the argument and do a welfare check in Ireland? Why did she have to go to Liverpool to report it to the police, to ask for a welfare check? I think there's something more here rather than her simply following her sister's actions without any reason, without any stressors beyond that point. But you let me know what you think about it. And now, now look at the time. <laughs> look at it. Just look at it. Time, huh? Wild. A wild concept. Well, as you're looking into the time and going into your next Zoom call, you think about Taylor Swift, okay? <laughs> she is all over my subscriptions feed today on YouTube because she is doing promotions for Red. This sounds like I'm like biggest Taylor Swift here. No, I'm just wrapping it all around because how did this episode start? It started with strong 
powerful women and them doing something positive, turning it all around, making all of these men tremble and shit their pants about who she's going to write the song next. And her, most importantly, getting some sick money off of that, monetizing of her own fucking pain. Because you can focus on a heartbreak, you can focus on all of your stressors, all of your troubles in a negative way, and then you might become one of the subjects that true crime podcasters talk about. Or you can become one of the subjects that random sidelines of true crime podcasts lead to by breaking that glass ceiling. Do you know how happy it makes me that Olivia Rodrigo has like billions of plays on like a single song? Like top artist, top fucking artist writing a song about breakup. Like that is, that shit is powerful. They have figured it out and that is why a woman needs to become a president. Not just any woman, but a singer. Because imagine if we had a singer in a White House. Fuck yeah. No, let's not have them anything to do with politics. Just have like the sickest White House performances. I'm onto something. I think a lot of you would disagree <laughs> with a lot of topics said during this video and including this one but I think I'm onto something the White House performances by Mrs. President herself fuck yeah yeah so you're going to your next zoom call thinking about this mm -hmm. yeah don't pay any attention completely lose focus by thinking about how cool it would be to have Taylor Swift or Olivia Rodrigo as a president yeah boy yeah, boy. Are you having <laughs> your own psychotic break, Maya? What is this all about? I am most probably not, because I'm about to start work. Uh, but I am most definitely losing my voice because of the hours and hours of content I have released this week. So with that empowering words, with the notion of women who have already broken the glass ceiling you go into your next zoom call and you break that motherfucker yourself cool okay fuckers i shall be seeing you most probably next monday and while you break the glass ceiling most definitely you will also be doing what making this world a motherfucking better place how are you doing it one glass ceiling one motive at a time God, okay. I'm actually shaking. <laughs> I'm actually thinking I did something here, okay? I'm, thi I'm thinking I changed the world with that one outro. <laughs> so keep the illusion going. Bye, fuckers. Bye. Oh, bye. Is that how you perceive your outro tune? Oh, God. No musical genius here. <laughs> but yet I respect them. Write a song about your ex right now. Right now. Write it, put the link down below. I listen to it billions of times, billions of times. Voting for a president, female president, it must happen. Bye, fuckers.